I wanted to uh, use today's uh, shear as an opportunity uh, to offer um, what I consider to be an appropriate and fitting, I hope, Mirza Hashem, a tribute uh, to Chaim Kanievsky, who, as you know, of course, was uh, passed away uh, right before Shabbos and was uh, buried uh, in either the biggest or probably more likely the second biggest funeral in Israeli history uh, today, um, and was you know, obviously uh, one of, if not the, Gadol Hador, uh, somebody who was just a remark- remarkable uh, Talmud Chacham. And I thought uh, that the best way uh, to pay tribute to him uh, was to focus on Talmud Torah, which was the defining aspect of his life, uh, and specifically uh, to focus on the Midah, uh, kind of the subcategory, one of the real inherent parts of the midst of Torah study, which is to be a Masmid, to have Hasmada, to be diligent, I guess would be the English translation, uh, but it really defies translation, especially when one's in yeshiva. You know, you, you know what a masmid is. Some of you, uh, especially those of you who have been here since Elul, may already be there. Others, uh, even if you've been here since Elul, may have better days, better sedarim. You know, it's, it's always a struggle. And those of you who are more recently here, so maybe you're still just getting into things to some extent. But to be a masmid, sometimes, you know... Uh, I know that in like Lahavdil in sports and basketball, sometimes you know they say the athlete, you know, the, the shooter is in the zone, you know, the hoop looks this big. Like, so when you're learning Lahavdil, sometimes you get those days, those weeks, those storm where you're just in the zone and you just you're learning and you're thinking, breathing, sleeping, dreaming, learning, learning, learning. You get it, you get into the zone, and it's not for days and weeks at a time, that even for Sadarim and hours at a time, you know, even just to be able to sit and learn without looking at your phone for 60 minutes, right? It's certainly inconceivable you would have done that before yeshiva. It's just not the world we live in. So the idea that one could become a masmid uh, is obviously a very, very important part uh, of Torah. And if you've known anything, if not before Shabbos, in the last uh, 36 hours, about Reb Chaim Kanievsky, uh, to me it's a very uncontroversial, unoriginal statement, but I'll say it anyway. To me, the defining aspect of his personality was his legendary, almost superhuman, uh, otherworldly uh, hasmada. Uh, you know, there's no one who's ever become a Gadol Batorah who wasn't also a Masmid. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are, you need uh, to put in the work. And yet, nevertheless, you know, uh, I don't think it's uh, inappropriate to say that, you know, there, are, there seem to be levels. I remember uh, when Rav Yosef died, also, you know, the stories about him were, were overwhelming, you know, his Hasmada. Um, he's the only person I can think of who even comes close in terms of this complete... Um, almost, you know, not almost, single-minded, uh, almost obsession, I guess is really the best word, with Torah to the exclusion of almost everything worldly. Um, again, I'm not the biggest expert in Chaim Kanievsky, uh, not even close. Um, I do own a number of his svarim. Uh, he, he, he published tens of svarim. Uh, I have a few of them, including one which we'll use today, which is from your handout, uh, which is, I don't know if it's his only one, but it's the only one that I know of that he himself published, uh, that it's not on halacha or gemara, it's on midos and musr. Over the years, a lot of svarim have come out of his commentary on chumash or conversations that people had with him. I'm not enough an expert to know. My impression was that other people published those. Was that he published them? But he was a prolific, prolific writer, especially when he was younger. Um, and uh, this is one of the topics which he himself uh, devotes some time to uh, is the issue of being a masmid, or the flip side, which is bittel Torah, when one has an opportunity to learn and instead is fiddling away the time uh, with uh, less uh, meaningful and uh, sublime uh, activities. And what I thought, again, as a tribute to him, uh, is to speak a little bit about him, but more to learn through this topic. What do Chazal tell us? What do Amr Farshim tell us 
about what it means to be a masmid, the importance of it, the challenges of it, strategies on how to achieve that ever-elusive and sometimes daunting uh, goal for all of us, uh, and to do so in part, not exclusively, but in part through the chapter that he has in his Sefer uh, on, uh, on the topic. And um, to me at least, uh, I, you know, I would, to the extent that I feel like I had know anything about him, I kind of feel like he'd appreciate that we're doing that a lot more than just telling like Maiseluch uh, and stories about him, even though the stories are actually um, really quite legendary. I'll also add another thing. Um, I don't know if anyone has said this to you in any of the previous conversations that have happened in the yeshiva since uh, over today or since he passed away, but uh, maybe this is... Uh, well, anyway, I, I'll add one more point, which is that I think that in many ways this is an incredibly important moment uh, for us in the sense that it's hard to find somebody who in a certain way was more distant from this yeshiva than Mikhail Kanievsky. Uh, and I don't think that we should hide from that. In other words, you know, much of the modern era uh, in Torah has been divided by you know, two competing hashkafos, the Torah only and the Torah and hashkafa. Torah and Derech Eretz, Torah and Mada, Torah and Parnasa, Torah and Tzionut, Eretz Yisrael, or Torah only. Right? It's hard to imagine someone, as I say, in the last hundred years who more symbolized Torah only than Rechaim Kanievsky. He was literally not just in hashkafa, like in every part of his body was Torah only. And to the extent that he didn't venture too much into hashkafa, you know, hot button issues. But to the extent that he did, uh, you know, he would not have agreed with, uh, you know, various points, you know, that people in the yeshiva feel very strongly about them. The Rosh yeshivas in the yeshiva felt very strongly about them. And that's okay. Elu elu chaim. There's allowed to be different uh, approaches. Uh, but I think Dafka, because to some extent he was distant from the yeshiva, also I would add, as someone who has studied and owns farm of his in the world of Gemara and Halacha, um, his derech in that as well was very much not lomdus in the sense that we define it or are used to it in the classical brisker sense at all. It was a different style uh, of lomdus. Uh, doesn't mean it wasn't you know, accessible or beneficial. Uh, just le- literally six days ago, last Monday, I gave a shear to the Shana Bet and Shana Gimel guys uh, on Lamdus and Halacha on whether you can use Peros Shviyas, uh, produce that's Kadosh with Shemitah, for Mishloch Manos or not. One of the Svarim I quoted there was actually from Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who has an entire com- has a commentary on all of the Rambam on Hilchos Royim, on everything, all the Mitzvah Klis Baritz and the Rambam, Chaim Kanievsky has a multi-volume uh, commentary, which I own, called Derech uh, Emuna. So you can use it even in a shir, which, you know, is more of a lomda shir, but that wasn't what he was doing. He has a little bit of a different uh, style and focus. And Davka, because his learning style and his hashkafa and his lifestyle, you know, was as foreign to, to some extent uh, uh, from us as you could imagine, um, I think it, Davka behooves us. Uh, to at least spend some time really appreciating uh, what he represented, uh, because you get it now is not the opportunity, the right time at all to discuss, you know, why we would believe in the legitimacy of our Torah and approach. But you know, one of the inherent chisronot, there's chisronot in everything. There's no such thing as a perfect hashkafa. So of course, the inherent uh, chisaron of Torah and is that the Torah is weak and the Torah isn't as strong as it should be, um, and it therefore behooves. Uh, people who believe in a Torah and Hashkafa to every now and then, and maybe more often now than then, uh, to refocus and reorient themselves on the importance of uh, Torah only. That shouldn't become diluted uh, by the addition 
uh, of, the, of the Torah and. And it's a well-known risk, and it's a risk that, uh, if we're being honest, we don't always navigate successfully. So someone who embodied you know, everything in the other direction, that serves as kind of a, uh, a north star for us, even if we're not going to 100% agree with him in the way we you know, live our lives ultimately, uh, in the exact hashkafas that we adopt, but nevertheless, to truly appreciate everything he represented, uh, he very much, you know, only talked the talk, but he very, very much walked the walk, was as sincere as one could be, was as committed and as authentic as one could possibly be, and to not only appreciate his life and what that represents and how that's a machayev for us, uh, but number two is to dafka study the you know the, the makoros and the values that are embodied in that because the values of hasmada b'torah uh, the negative and you know, the problematic aspects of bittul torah um, apply no less to someone in this yeshiva uh, as someone who lives in bnei brak and no less uh, to a doctor or a businessman than they did to Chaim Kanievsky. How those are applied are different based on a person's life choices, but the principles and the values. Uh, which come from the Gemara and Chazal, of course, are equally applicable to all. So with that uh, somewhat wordy uh, introduction um, concluded, uh, let's kind of begin this year. And before we do the handout, which, uh, you know, for those who have it, you certainly can keep it. It's not that hard to read, and we will, I hope, time permitting, be able to go through the, uh, many of the highlights of the handout. But before I get to the handout, which comes from this book, so I mentioned I have one, one of the Sfarim, which I own, called Orchos Yosher, which is a sefer that he published on Midos uh, and on Musr. Uh, the book is, has 30 chapters, and it's arranged alphabetically. So the first chapter is MS, starting with Aleph, and the last chapter is Tefillah, going to Tuf. So literally the second chapter in the sefer, which is the one you have on your handout, is Bittu Torah uh, with the Bet. So before we see that, I want to set that up by uh, giving you uh, a little bit of a, a sheer, a little bit of makoros, uh, based on the sixth chapter of Perkei Avos, which you don't have on your sheet. This is my uh, hosafa uh, to his words. Uh, but I'd like to, it'll not only lead to the Bittal Torah part and the Hasmata part, but also the other points I want to make, each one of them relate uh, to his life and his incredible accomplishments as well. So what I'm referring to in the sixth chapter, technically speaking, I may have mentioned this in previous shurim, technically speaking, the Mishnayos of Meseches Avos are five chapters. The sixth chapter is actually Brysos, and we think, we think probably in the time of the Geonim was appended to Perkyovos to make it six chapters. What all of a sudden happened in the time of Perkyovos, why they want to add a sixth chapter? So evidently, that's when the Minhug started of learning Perkyovos in between Pesach and Shavuos. So when you finish the week of Pesach, you have six weeks left until Shavuos, so that way you have a week per uh, Perak. And specifically, once they were adding a chapter of Perkyovos in order to have that sixth completion of the cycle, um, the last week, which is right before Shavuos, the Chag of Matan Torah. So that chapter of, the sixth chapter, the Brises of Perkyavos, are basically a collection of Mamre Chazal, all about Talmud Torah. So you actually have a very beautiful um, system. We know the famous idea, from Avos itself, of Derech Eretz Kodem Torah. First you have to be a mensch, then you learn. So the first five Prakim of Perkyavos are about what? In essence, Derech Eretz, being a mensch. And then you have, what's the sixth parak? All about Torah, which leads us into Matan Torah. It's a very beautiful uh, structure, which most people aren't even aware of. So the core, probably, again, a lot of beautiful things in that sixth chapter, but the core, probably, is something which in most collections spreads out over two brisos or two mishnayos, hey and vav, and that is where uh, Perkyavos tells us that there are memches kinyane Torah, 48 attributes that a person has to have in order to truly master Torah. And a few years ago, I actually gave Shurim 
on every one of these. I actually started it on a Pesach, and I went through straight the 49 days all the way up till uh, Shavuos. Uh, it was much more daunting than I thought, even though I was, I was recording. Each year was about 20, 25 minutes, not more. But to do that for seven straight weeks without missing a day, uh, each week another, each day another topic was quite uh, daunting. So those are all on YU Torah. There's 49 uh, separate shurim. And then a few years ago for the Yeshiva's uh, podcast, KMTT, they asked me to do it again. So then I did it in like 30-minute shurim where I did two topics of each one. Each one was 15 minutes. So uh, online I have uh, two different series on all of them. But as it happens, the very first one, the first thing mentioned in Perky Avos of the 48 Kenyan Torah is, and this happens a lot in Perky Avos, especially in the 6th Parak, but really in all Perky Avos, a lot of Girsa issues. I don't know why, I'm not enough of a scholar to know why, but Kacha. So the first one in most printed Mishnayas is referred to as Talmud. Some of Farshim have a different Girsa, they call it Limud. Talmud or Limud. Okay? Now, one of the really interesting things, if you study all Mem Cheskinai Torah, is that quite a few of them are unexpected. Right? If we're talking about things you need, attributes you need, in order to acquire a mastery of Torah, you would imagine that these are going to be academic, intellectual type things, be a diligent student, like our topic, or have good rebbeim, or have good chavrusas, or be in a good environment, chazara, you know, that kind of stuff. And those are all there too. But one of the things that's really interesting is that there are a lot of surprising things, like, you know, be a nice person and be empathetic and have Abbas Yisrael. Right? Not that those are bad values, but what does it got to do with becoming a Talmud Chacham? L'chorah, what does it have to do with you know, each other, right? So that's one type of question or intriguing uh, a- a- angle or avenue to study. However, when you start off, the very first one is, ta- you know, Limud or Gemara or, uh, or Limud, Talmud or Limud, so there, the Mepharshim asks the exact opposite question, which is, that's so obvious almost to be you know, unnecessary and redundant. What's the first thing you need to do to become a Tamachacham? Learn. I mean, <laughs> like, obviously, like, this is what I needed Pergyavos for. If I wouldn't have been Pergyavos, I, per- I wouldn't have known that. It just seems like it's adding nothing. It's almost like, well, you know, if I needed to come, I'm working backwards. I needed 48. I got 47. Which, oh yeah, just put down learning. Like, it seems totally contrived. Like, what's the point? It's obvious. So, because of this, different Mepharshim give different explanations for what exactly the Bryce is talking about here. What is the Chiddush? So, one interpretation, which I think, and I want to share with you three, which are, we'll do it through quickly, but they actually highlight three different aspects, not only that are, that are, that are important for all of us to know, frankly, but they actually all relate to Reb Chaim's life and values. But then the fourth one will be the topic which we'll go back to his essay on and we'll go through and that's the issue of Bittal Torah. But before we get to that, three others. So first the one I want to share with you is from the commentary on Pekayavos called the Baruch She'amar. If you've heard of the Torah Tamima, which is a commentary on the Chumash, this is the same author. Right? He also has a series of Sram called Baruch She'amar on the Siddur um, and on Pekayavos. Okay? So in Baruch She'amar and Pekayavos, he says, you know what this is referring to? You shouldn't think the Torah would be something that a person could acquire, be Yerusha. Maybe your father or your grandfather or your family are big time in Chachamim. You come from a rabbinic family, your rabbinic dynasty. Maybe it's something that'll just be obvious. Maybe like wealth or personal status, like being a Kohen or a Levi, maybe that's the kind of thing that just can be passed on, can be inherited. It's not crazy. Kamashwan says the Baruch Shamar. No, you should know. The first thing you need to know is Either you'll earn it on your own, or you won't have it. The first thing is a person has to learn. Okay? That's his interpretation. 
So when you think about somebody like Rechaim Kanievsky, this jumps out at you like, and screams at you. It's hard to argue that there was a more pedigreed person who had greater yichus than him. His father was one of the Gadol Hador, the legendary stipler. His uncle was the Gadol Hador in Israel for decades, the Chazonish. If you'll say, okay, so, you know, he didn't succumb to that as a kid, and even when he was 12 and 13, he didn't just say, you know, look who my daddy is, look who my uncle is. He learned. But then, you could have had another Yetzirah, because he married the daughter of Aval Yashiv. So, you know, okay, I worked hard to get the good shidduch. You know, I married into the wealthy family, you know. Now they'll just give me a little business on the side. I should be fine. Between those three, a father and uncle and a father-in-law are, you know, we're talking about, you know, ten of the famous, three of the ten most famous names in the last 50, 60 years in Israel. It's his immediate family, right? If anyone could have been prone uh, to the to Yetzir Hara of, you know, just, you know, kind of letting it slide and, you know, using the family connections, if you will, it would have been him. And what was the reality? Just the opposite. There was no one who was harder working. He was, like the, he was like the guy who had no connections, no last name, no anything, and it was like working in the mailroom, you know, putting 20 hours days in, so maybe one day, hopefully, you know, his boss will see him, and maybe, you know, Epis give him a little bit of a raise. Like those guys who have come from nothing and work, like, and you'll forgive for half of the room, you'll forgive me, but this is what we call in America the American dream. Right, starting with nothing and working yourself. He had that attitude, despite the fact that you know he was born on third base. And he was born into a life of privilege in that sense, and yet he did not take any of that for granted. He worked hard as if he was a nobody. That's an incredible, incredible thing. If you just think about it in your own little Daladamos in your life, I'm sure you're familiar. For people who are born into privileged families, I'm not even there's nothing wrong with them. Chasa shalom. I don't. I'm, I don't think privilege is a, is, is a dirty word. I'm countercultural, um, but. It can, it can bring out the worst in people. That's for sure true. And it's worthy of you know, admiration that he worked as hard as someone who had the most anonymous last name, even though he had such a famous one. That's number one. Number two, Rav Yaakov Emden also has a commentary on Perkyavos called the Lechem Shemayim. And he says, you know why this first of the Kinyane Torah is Talmud or Limud? That refers to the fact that a person has to do Chazara. Obviously, the Brisa Perkyavos is not telling us, you know, you become a Talmud Learn. That's beyond obvious. That'd be silly for the Brisa to tell us that. But you might have thought you just have to learn once. How do I know that I have to review and review and Chazar and Chazar? So says the, the Rav Yaakov Emden in his commentary, Lacham Shemayim, he thinks that's what the Brisa is telling us. Talmud, you should know you have to be, you know, learn over and over again. I'll read it. He has a very beautiful one line. Shiarogil. Right, it's telling you the language is learn and learn. Again, it's for emphasis over and over again until you become truly fluent uh, in the material. Yeah, that's his interpretation of the Brisa. And again, you stop for a moment on a night like tonight and you say, has there ever been anybody, maybe in history, certainly in recent, the last 100 years, the last 50, 60, 70 years, has there been anybody who more epitomized this than Chaim Kanievsky? He literally made a siyum on Shas every single year. He made a siyum on Yerushalmi every single year. He made a siyum on all of Rambam every single year. He made a siyum on all of Zohar every single year. He made a siyum on Shulchan Aruch 
every single year. He did this for at least something like 70 years in a row. You would think he knew it by then. Right? The answer was not. He was chazering and chazering. Right? Let's be honest. I'm speaking for myself. Right? We get bored seeing same Gemara maybe like twice and we barely knew it the first time. Chazar week. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, can I take a pill? You know? And he, a pit of, you want to know how you become such a genius? You don't actually, if you chazer that much, you don't even have to be a genius. You know, uh, back in Europe, pre war, there was a uh, great, great goan who they, they say had a similar level of Bacchus, known as the Rugachover, of Yosef Rosen. He was the Rugachover goan, who was a Rav in Dvinsk at the same time as the, the Meshachachmas, or Sameach. But the people, and again, he, he was legendary for being able to quote anywhere in Kaltar Kula on his fingertips. So they once asked his rabbinic contemporary, the Orsameach, how is it that the, you know, the Rugachover has such a great memory? He says, he goes, you don't have to have a great memory if you're constantly chazering Kaltar Kula. If you've just learned every page in the Gemara, so it doesn't take much to remember it. Right? So that was, you know, so there are like once in a hundred years you get people like this who are constantly reviewing and reviewing and reviewing and reviewing. Uh, somebody on a rabbinic WhatsApp group that I'm a part of, somebody posted earlier today a uh, PDF. It's about a 140 page, uh, you know, kind of Sefer uh, booklet uh, that was published, I don't know how many years ago, all about Reb Chaim's learning routine. He had what he referred to as chovos, debts. Just like a person who has a monetary debt, you know you have to pay it. You may be tired, but if you don't have the money, you're going to go out and find a you know, weekend job or an extra night job because you've got to pay it. I have a chov. So he accepted upon himself certain learning chovos. And his entire life, and his wife knew it, his children knew it, everyone knew until he does his chovos. Like there's nothing, you, you can, and he talks about exactly how he did, you know, eight dapim, he did eight dapim of Gemara a day, that's Bavli. And then he did the parallel Yerushalmi. Then he did the chapter in Rambam. And he did this, like, it's just mind-boggling. But that was the Chazara again. If you talk, Rav Yaakov Emden's, you know, it's, it's almost understated as he refers to it. Shahirogil Shanos Velachzur Al Tamudo. Migoro Rumchaim Kanyevsky on that. And again, not like the first thing we mentioned. You don't have to have a brilliant IQ for any of that. Right? You just have to be a hard worker, right? A lot of times we think of great Gedolim and we're, you know, kind of, uh, we give up because, you know, I'm not as genius as him. And the chances is, you're right, you're not. But to Chazar and to work hard, you don't have to be a genius. You just have to work hard. Number three, the Medrash Shmuel. The Medrash Shmuel was like a uh, 15th century uh, commentary on uh, Perki Avos. He was from the Gerushe Svarad. He was one of the Chachamim of Spain, who then was part of the exile during the Spanish Inquisition. Um, and he has this kind of collection, almost like a Shittim Gubetzes, on Perki Avos. So here the Medrash Shmuel says, you know what this means again? It doesn't just mean to learn, because again, that's... So obvious is to be banal. Like, of course, that's what you have to learn. What can Perkyavos mean when it says one of the 48 things is to learn? Says the Medrash Shmuel refers to is your attitude. No matter how much you've accomplished, always feel like it's incomplete. You should always have a desire to learn more and more. And this way you'll truly achieve great things. If you're always thirsty, you'll always be drinking. It's a mentality. Never feel like you've arrived. What he's referring to is a ha'ara, which I found in a number of svarim over the years, and which is something very interesting. It's, once I say it, it may sound obvious to you, but if you've never thought about it before, it's really striking and compelling. We're used to, because we heard our whole lives, a phrase, what's a big rabbi, a big scholar, what do we call them in Judaism? A Talmud Chacham. If you think about it, it seems like a little bit of an oxymoron. You know, in the secular world, the big scholar, the big professor is not called a Talmud. 
they graduated from being a student a long time ago? And the answer is no. From a Torah perspective, to be a great scholar, a person always has to be a Talmud. No matter how big of a Chacham you are, you're always a Talmud. You're always a student. You always feel like there's more to learn. You always feel like there's more that people can, other people can teach you, more that you can do. You always feel that level of being, so to speak, incomplete. Always wanting to do more, never being completely and fully uh, satisfied. And here also, again, this is something, in a certain sense, you could say this is very overlapping. In the Venn diagram, this very much overlaps with the Chazara mentality. I think that's true. But to me, it strikes me not only as a different interpretation of, of Perkyovos, but also highlights uh, something which was also somewhat unique about Rav Chaim Kanievsky, and that is he had a tremendous passion, and then because of that, an expertise in some of the more exotic or esoteric uh, parts of Torah. Do you know, for example, this is actually one of the books that I own. I have to admit I've never really cracked the binding. Maybe once I used it, uh, but I do own it. He has an entire book, an entire sefer. It's not a huge book, but it's an entire sefer just on the topic of Egla Arufa. I have the book. Nachal Eitan, I have the book. Um, he has entire books on the small, what's called Mesechtos Ketanos, which are on the back of the Gemara, a book on Mesechas Geirim, a book on Mesechas Tzitzis. No one writes about this stuff. No one wrote on these books. That's why he did the entire book on Kiddush HaChodesh. Who in 2022, or, or even 1982, or 72, who writes an entire book on Kiddush HaChodesh? He did. Right? Because of this idea, he was always, he was never satisfied. There was always more to learn. There was always something, I know all the Babas, okay, great, now I'm going to go do, I know all the mainstream Yeshiva Shemesachlas, and I'll do the other Mesach, I know all Kachim, and all, what else can I do? What else haven't I covered yet? And again, I think this is a, uh, again, most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, I'm going to be bold here. None of us may have some of his natural abilities, but that thirst, that intellectual curiosity, that desire, that feeling of never being satisfied, never enough, always looking to be better, that's something that if we want, all of us uh, can, can, uh, can follow. Okay, and now we're ready for the fourth approach to the, to the Mishnah, which will take us to uh, the handout which I gave you. And this I want to share with you. It's, I, I saw this in a number of Svarim. Uh, I'll mention one in particular, Rabbi Lau, Yisrael Meir Lau, who should live and be well. Um, the uh, former chief rabbi of Israel, chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. So he has a six-volume commentary on Perkei Avos called Yachel Yisrael. And he makes the point, and again, he's not the only one, but he's one of them, uh, that perhaps this first uh, thing in, in the Brisa of the 48 Kinyanei Torah is actually, we shouldn't think it's so obvious. That is to say, and I think in our generation, maybe it's even more uh, important lesson, and that is, we shouldn't think that there are shortcuts. Right? Everyone's looking for, what do they call it now? A hack. Right? There are hacks for everything, apps for everything, hacks for everything, right? which is just a new um, technological way of saying shortcut. Shortcuts aren't new. Shortcuts are part of human nature. Right? There's always a certain type of person who's looking for a shortcut. There's other type of people who want to do things the right way. Right? Very, very rarely the people take the shortcuts in the long run does it pay off. So says Rabbi Lau and others, that's what the Mishnah is coming to tell us. That's what Pergav is coming to tell us. The first thing you know is, yes, it may sound obvious, but for a certain type of people who are always looking for a shortcut, maybe it's an important lesson that they need to hear, which is that there's no substitute for just putting your tuchas in the chair and zitzin and learning. You want to be Tabachacham? I guess it's one of the points, again, I'll just digress for a millisecond, not to get too bogged down in this, but... So I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's a very good thing, and I'm very proud of the fact. That I think it's a very helpful thing. There's such an emphasis in Gemara and even in Tanakh, and this yeshiva on Derech Halimud. But sometimes I feel like we get drunk on it. The goal of learning isn't Derech Halimud. The goal of learning is learning. 
and then become closer to Hashem, etc. Now, I, I believe that having a good derech halimut, especially, a derech halimut, if it's a good one especially, is a very useful thing. But don't confuse the end with the means. Right? The main thing is, so a lot of times you have people are willing to, to spend half of afternoon seder bottling about derech halimut. And the Yitzhahara has convinced them that they had a meaningful afternoon seder because they weren't talking about football or basketball or something worse. They were talking about learning, yeah, but you weren't learning. Sometimes you have to realize it's just sit and learn. Again, or don't, you don't need a shortcut. It's not you know, an app or someone's notes. Sometimes you just got to sit down and do the work. Not sometimes, most of the time. That really is something that we shouldn't um, under, underappreciate. And again, I think this is the kind of thing which whenever you think of a gadol, um, you know, obviously different gadolim have different types of genius. Some have better memories, some are more creative, um, etc., um, and, you know, understandably, sometimes we were overwhelmed by that. But again, just to appreciate, you know, anyone's hasmada, um, I think is something that we can all, you know, should uh, be something that inspires us, uh, and it should be something that um, is machayev uh, to us. Again, I don't want to make this about anything else, but just, again, those of you, no, no one here was knew Rav Lichtenstein and, or was in Iran Yeshiva when he passed away to hear the Hespedim, but his, his hasmada was also incredible. He had incredible worldly haskam. Again, I think Rav Kavinsky was like from another planet in terms of his level of hasmara. Like Rav Lichtenstein actually like talked to people and like had relations with his kids and like did all sorts of other things. Um, but any free moment, quote unquote, just as a simple example, right? Rav Lichtenstein wouldn't eat soup during the week, as you know. For many of us, it's like the best thing the yeshiva does every day is that soup. He wouldn't eat soup because you have to wait for it to cool down, and he wanted to rush back to the base medrash. That's just one little example. I mean, there's a million examples of his legendary Hasmata. Talk to any of the Rebbeim here when they were younger, Talmudim. Everyone has stories of going up to the front of the base matter to talk to Rav Lichtenstein. This guy was sta- Each Rebbe has a story where once they were sitting there for seven minutes, sitting there for 12 minutes, where he was so engrossed in his learning, instead he didn't even look up, he didn't even know people were standing there. It was an unbelievable Masmid. So it, does, it could be Rav Lichtenstein, it could be Rav Yosef, or Rav Kanievsky, but again, Rav Kanievsky really was on a whole other level in terms of this uh, Hasmata, was really something that... Uh, Again, I think that we should appreciate, uh, again, in our culture, maybe in the Western world in particular, and maybe to some extent in our yeshiva, we're vulnerable to this, we're too enamored by brilliance. I'm not saying it's not what to admire, um, but we should actually be more enamored by hard work. Um, and I think part of the reason we're so enamored by brilliance is because it's a terror to ourselves. Since I'm not as brilliant, so it doesn't matter that I don't do those same things. The truth is, if we realize that the more impressive characteristic and attribute was the person's hard work, so then it actually would be a tremendous mechaev for us, because then we will, none of us have an excuse. Again, I'm not saying anyone has to like, live, breathe, sleep Torah the way Rechaim Kinevsky did. I'm not on that level either. Um, but I could tell you, especially when you're in yeshiva, you can reach higher levels than you've ever thought possible. I think maybe in a previous year I mentioned, and again, I repeat, if I haven't said it, then it's good that I'm mentioning it now. Now, if I am, I don't mean to repeat it even the first time I would have said it, let alone a second time. I'm not saying this to boast at all, chas v'shalom. I'm dafka saying this because if I could do it, then so could any of you. But I remember when I was exactly your age, um, and I was so, so consumed in learning. I'll just give you two data points. Uh, One... I guess I'm one I'm really not proud of, or something my wife cringes, up, cringes at. Um, but one was, not only did I shower only once a week, because I don't want to waste the time, coast to coast, baby, uh, Friday to Friday, but there was a period 
where I had a charusa with Rabbi Eli Reich, who is now a Shanaf Rabbi in Shalavim. Um, and we, davening in those days was very, very early, but we had a charusa for an hour before davening. But I was so exhausted um, from you know, going, staying at the base matters till midnight the night before that not only was I showering once a week, I would sleep in my clothes because I didn't have the koch to get dressed in the morning. Now, again, my wife cringes when she hears this, and I'm not recommending this from a, like a Derek Eretz perspective. Um, it was certainly not the most hygienic thing. But I have to tell you, I wasn't impressed with myself or didn't see myself doing anything special. I just couldn't imagine like wasting the time or the energy because I wanted to give it all to Torah. It's slightly different points, but also when I was in yeshiva and I was your age, I remember, I remember being at a certain place, and this didn't last forever. It lasted for maybe a few months. But I remember my biggest nisayon was I could not stop thinking about learning even when I was in the bathroom. You're not allowed to think about learning when you're in the bathroom. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like feeling guilty. Now I understand what that sounds like. And I can say I'm not boasting at all. I'm pointing out that if I could do that, so could any of you. And I'll also acknowledge that for most of the 46 years of my life, 48 years of my life, whoops, um, that has not been my, my strongest Yetzirah. But you can get there, especially when you're in yeshiva. And there's no reason why not to go for it. Wherever you end up falling, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be where I was. Maybe you'll surpass me. Maybe you won't. What's the difference? But you could be the best that you can be. I'm not talking about how smart you are, how quickly you read a Gemara, if you can ask the best question in Shear. That's stuff that you can improve, but that's not the way to measure yourself. The way to measure yourself is how hard you're working and how engrossed you are in the learning. And for that, Reb Chaim certainly is a, uh, this answer, and Reb Chaim himself is a great role model. So let's turn to the handout that you have, and let's see if we can get through a few of the highlights uh, of this handout. Okay, I, I have the actual book. Those of you who have the handout, uh, have the handout. And this fourth approach that we just mentioned is the entire focus of this chapter in the book. Obviously, from, you know, he's going to discuss both the positives and the negatives, even though since he's being alphabetical, he uses the, the negative, the Bittal Torah, uh, the idea of wasting time instead of uh, learning when we, when we could. Now, the interesting thing is, something he, you know, he's, he, he's definitely more famous um, as a Bucky than as a Lamdan. I mentioned that before. It's a different style. Uh, in the introduction, he actually acknowledges that. It's really beautiful and fascinating. And he does it with tremendous humility. And he basically says, listen, who am I to write a Musser book? Right? Like sometimes if someone give, people give us correction or Musser, you know, if you don't really respect that person, you have a hard time, you're resentful of it. Like, who is this person to tell me? So he says about himself, who am I to tell anyone else what to do? And then he says, but that's okay. Because I'm not telling anyone to do anything. All I'm doing is sharing with you what Chazal have said, what the Rishonim, what the Akronim have said. So he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like hide. You know, some people say, oh, he didn't quote. Some people would like pretend and get all defensive. No, 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 I have many Chidushim. He has the opposite approach. He leans right into it. He says, yeah, that's exactly the point. I'm not trying to give you my own opinion. Who said I'm worthy of anything? But I'm telling you, you know, I collected all this information which might be helpful to you. And then he adds, and hopefully bischut that, not only will it help you, but it will help me be a better person. Really quite a remarkable, you know, thing for someone who was already considered running Gedoli Hador to write an introduction to such a safer. So let's take a look. Um, again, time permitting, we'll, I'll try to highlight as many of these issues as I can. And again, that's why you have the handout uh, to go through uh, after Shear. I think it's, I would highly recommend going through all of it inside if you can. So first of all, he starts off with just describing the whole first paragraph is numerous examples from Gemaras and Midrashim, all about the severity of the sin of Bittal Torah. And again, this is something which I think many of us, um, you know, especially, you know, new to yeshiva or coming from a more modern background, I don't think we appreciate this at all. 
Uh, first of all, in our culture, we don't value time anyway, right? We have a fra- we grew up with the phrase "killing time," which is maybe the, one of the single most immoral statements one could ever make, uh, anti-terror statements one could make. Um, you know, time is not meant to be killed. Um, you're killing yourself by wasting it. But uh, but the idea that you know. Oh my gosh, I didn't learn X amount of time. That was an Avera, right? We think of it as like we're doing God and everyone else a favor every minute we learn. Like, look at me, I learned two hours a day, right? This is coming from a completely different perspective, which is if all you had was two hours, that's amazing. What if you could have learned four? What if you could have learned seven or eight? So we're not so used to at this stage of our lives, you know, being sensitive to that. But we need to start getting to that point. So he points out, for example, uh, the first few lines are all basically a number of Midrashim and Gemaras that are quoted by Rabbeinu Yonah and the Shari Tshuva. For example, the Sifrei, if you take a look on the first paragraph, the second line, Kishem Shaschar Talmud Torah, Godol Mikol Mitzvos. Right? There are many sources that indicate Talmud Torah is Godol Mikulam or Keneged Kulam. What a reward you get from Talmud Torah. You should know, Kach Onesh HaMavatel, Godol Mikol Averos. The level of severity of the Avera of wasting time when you could be learning could be more severe than anything else. Furthermore, he quotes on the third and fourth line from the Yerushalmi that Hashem is willing. Again, I, we're not you know, being eyeing exactly what this means now. There's definitely what to talk about. I just want to get you as much information as possible in the next 20 minutes. So it says, it says the Yerushalmi, their fourth line, that God is viter hakadosh baruchu al vodazara gilirayas shichos damin. That to some extent, God could forgive even the big three of Eros. But lo viter abitel Torah. But God can't forgive Bittel uh, Torah. Again, whatever that means, literally, or really, 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 it certainly is, has the power of conveying uh, just how negative Chazal think uh, Bittel Torah is. You skip down a few lines, he quotes a very famous and very powerful Gemara. It's actually a Gemara that Rav Shechter likes to quote as well, in Chagiga and Davhei, about how Kaddish Baruch Hu cries daily and laments three specific people. And one of those, in the middle of the line there is, Al-Mish Evshalo La'asok Torah. Now again, I think it's a very important point. You know, maybe we'll have a follow-up to this, or certainly in your own mind you should be thinking about this. It's a very important point to recognize. No one is saying that a person has to learn 24 hours a day. Right? You have to eat, you have to sleep. At some point you have to go to school, at some point you have to have a job, at some point you have to talk to your wife and your kids. And, like, but there is some period of time every day of Efsharlo, where a person could be learning. So that, it's whatever that period is, at a different state, now... The good news and the bad news for you this year, next year, is that you have a lot of time where F-share low. Great opportunities for learning, but the culpability of not using that opportunity will be far greater when you're in yeshiva than when you're juggling class or juggling work and a marriage and kids and et cetera, et cetera. But whatever that, wherever you are in life, there is some amount of time of F-share low. Even the guys uh, who I'm close with in the army, sometimes they have five minutes a day but they have five minutes a day. There's something that's Efsharlow. And says the Gemara, in Chagigo, again, yet another powerful source, and the image is very haunting, of God crying over those people who could have been learning and weren't. Again, he's not crying over the people who can't learn. But he's crying over the people who could be learning and those who are not. If you continue on through the rest of the paragraph, um, there are actually a number of graphic, very graphic Gemaras that describe in great detail the horrible... Uh, catastrophic punishments that befall people who are unfortunately uh, susceptible and guilty of this uh, Avera of uh, Bittel Torah. For example, he quotes from the Gemara in Shabbos, Taflam Ad-Bez, Oven Bittel Torah, Bani Mesim, Rachman al 
person's children could die, uh, there could be cherev, biza, uh, there could be, you know, people could get killed by the sword, there could be, you know, countries are overrun, um, people have no food, people are starving, uh, various diseases, you know, all these are quotes from the Gemara that Rabbi Chaim is here collecting, all still in the first uh, paragraph. Uh, terrible Yisurin, uh, a little bit later down, he quotes from another Gemara, later in Masech Shabbos, L'charva Yerushalayim El B'shu Torah, one of the causes of the Chorban of the Beis HaMikdash, uh, was B'tol Torah, uh, etc., etc. Okay, so all of this is, you know, I would say, first paragraph, you know, he kind of very much comes out swinging, uh, and gives you a collection of these sources that very much uh, highlight how severe... Um, the prohibition of uh, Bethel Torah is. In the second paragraph, he quotes another statement of Chazal uh, from Yuma, as it's understood by Rabbeinu Yonah, again, a Shari Shuva. And this, I think, is very, very, again, scary in a certain sense, but powerful for us to all consider, each of us, uh, on our level. The Gemara there says, and Rabbeinu Yonah explains, uh, of Hasach Sichas Chulen over Balav Ve'asei. That if a person is just... He's not talking about Lashon Hara, he's not talking about, uh, God forbid, Nivel Peh. Just your stom yapping, you're just schmoozing. You know, I don't talk about sports, uh, politics, I don't know anything. Some just parv kind of thing, but it's not necessarily meaningful. Right? There could be real transgressions involved in that. So what does that mean to be over on a lav and an assay? So he quotes here from Rabbeinu Yonah in the Shari Tshuva, who explains as follows. He says, a person who is, you know, regularly, you know, just stop wasting time, a yapper, a, you know, guys, a, a schmoozer. So first of all, especially if it's silly, narishkeit, so that's per se just not a meaningful way to live, just not the best mida. But then, four lines down in the second paragraph, he says, but there's the second dimension that the Gemara is highlighting. And that is, first of all, the more you talk, the more likely you are to gossip, say Lashon Hara, or who knows what. But more than that, Hashanis kihu bitel mi divar Torah, All that time you're schmoozing, what are you not doing? You're not learning. This is leading to bad things. Right? All that time you're discussing who knows what. You could have been talking and learning, or you could have been learning something which would be much more pleasurable and meaningful uh, and productive for your neshama. Look how much you're giving up by wasting your time. Again, he's very realistic in the sense. He's talking not about talking someone who has no choice. This is their work, or this is something else. He's talking about someone who is, this is in the time where a person is panoi He's free from his work. He has time. And he's just schmoozing and schmoozing and schmoozing. What a waste of what a waste of an opportunity. So again, here, kind of hammering again in a somewhat uh, similar theme. Um, you know, think about the negative consequences. Again, we uh, in general, and especially I'm guessing the educational systems in which you're products of, for the most part, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but they mostly are focusing on inspiration and all the positives and building you up for every little accomplishment that you do. And there's a lot of there's a good place for that. But sometimes you have to be old enough to face the music as well. Um, and that is that there are consequences for not doing the right things and wasting your time. And he certainly leads this chapter with a healthy dose of that. He switches a little bit if you are on the next page now, Amutet, or the second page in your handout. Um, and here he quotes something very meaningful, two paragraphs in a row, each one in a different way but very powerful, two different ideas from the Vilna Gon. Right. So he starts off on the second paragraph there uh, of Amutet, 
quotes from the beginning of Maseches Peah, which we know also from davening, right? There are certain things she'ain lahem shiur, right? Talmud, the Talmud Torah connected kulam. So what does that mean? So the Vilna Gon and his commentary explains, this is very famous, if you haven't heard it, this is exciting, because it's a good year for you to rack up points. Shekol teva, he mitzvah neyatma. What does that mean, Talmud Torah connected kulam? That every word of learning, Every word you learn, every word on the Gemara, every word in the Chumash, every word in the Tanakh, every word in the Mishnah, every word of Torah, says the Vilnagon, is another mitzvah. Sheshkula Kenegah Kala Mitzvos. Which in and of itself, on some in, infinite level, is, is equal to all the other mitzvahs. And therefore, Anadaf Echad Begemara. Right? In a little bit, you're going to come back from Dinah, you have Night Seder. Maybe you'll do an Omud, maybe you'll do more, whatever you... Just think how many hundreds of mitzvos you could get just in one Amud, one daf of Gemara. Incredible. He points out as well, uh, again, this is even more mystical, that the Gra in his commentary to Mishlei in Perak Yutet explains that every time a person learns, a malach is created for every word of Torah. Not only a mitzvah, a malach. Again, don't ask me what that means. I do not know. But the Vilna Gon, who was a, definitely a mystic and a Kabbalist, says the Vilna Gon, every word of Torah you learn, you create another Malach, which can defend you, which can be an advocate for you. Now, before you get all excited about this, of course, why is Rechaim Kanievsky pointing all this out? To point out, of course, the, what we call the opportunity cost. Right? If you don't take advantage of this, think how much you're losing. Right? Again, imagine you know, that... Uh, you know, uh, if, I, if, if you had, uh, you know, a few minutes, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're in a waiting room and you're just waiting for an interview, right? So you could be doing something productive or you could just be, you know, talking to work off your nervous energy, right? You didn't really accomplish anything, but you passed the time, just, right? But what if you were in a room, you know, like, you know, with endless jewels and the king had said you could take everything you wanted, but you were too nervous and you just, in other words, it's the same. It's a, you, you did the same thing, but you can't compare the two experiences, right? If you realized the opportunity that you missed, that you could have used all those five minutes to just grab as many jewels as you wanted, you, if you really, if that was really true, you'd feel much worse than whatever you didn't accomplish just in the five minutes in the waiting room. So that's what he's pointing out. If you realize how, if you really realize that there's just massive wealth, there's Bitcoin. There's natural gas. There's, you know, the dollar. Not you know, not the ruble. You don't want that anymore. Uh, but a lot of other things that you could be grabbing and grabbing every daf gemara, every mishnah, right? To not take an opportunity about, uh, to, to not take advantage of that is quite would be quite uh, depressing. In the next paragraph here, we're still on Amutet. He moves on to another idea, which I think is really powerful, uh, from also the Vilna Gon. There's a collection of like a Musr idea, safer from the Vilna Gon, called Evan Shlema. Which he says something again, it's, it's in mystical language because it's the Grah, but I think we totally get it in our more rational and kind of psychologically oriented uh, mindset. And that is, says the Vilna Gon as follows. He says, this is incredible. And you have, if you have it inside, it's worth looking inside. If you have the handout. Amutet, the second page on your handout, in that second paragraph, Akasav HaGrah Evan Shlema. And that is, Inyan Godel HaTaiva, how come we have such a Yetzir Hara, a Taiva, and not all of us, some of us are more introverted, but a lot of people have a great Taiva to schmooze and to hang out and to hack around. He says, there's no like physical pleasure to that. Right? I understand why a person might want to be eating all day. I understand why a person might want to have pork. 
I understand why a person has a taiva for uh, Gilead Rios. Like, there's physical pleasures. What's the Yetzir Hara to just schmooze and waste time? Like, what's, what are you getting out of it? So says the Vilna Gon, that was his question. He says, you have to realize as follows. In other words, what does the go and say? Again, he's speaking in mystical terms. But we can totally understand this on our level. Says the Vilnagon, anytime you do something, good or bad, from on high, a certain spirit enters you that is similar to that act. And that spirit is you know, bubbling up and will not rest. It's an itch that will not go away until you scratch it by giving it more of something similar. So he's using Kabbalistic mystical language of a spirit coming from above. But we can understand this psychologically, right? You, the more you enjoy something, the more you want it, the more you enjoy it, the more you want it. It's a, you're on the hamster wheel. We know this from modern psychology, that this is 100% true, right? And I can tell you as somebody who has dealt with um, kids of as low as 13 and 14, and including guys of age in yeshiva, people who sometimes struggle with various issues of pornography or other related things, right? Logically, you might think, you know, if I have a certain desire and I get a hit, that should be enough. And the answer is no, it's just the opposite. The more you're in it, the more you need it and you can't get out of it. If you could just pull yourself out of it for a day or two, it's like you don't even remember almost why you wanted it so much. Or maybe I'm slightly being simplistic about it. But the desire in the Eight Sahara goes way, way, way down. It's all the same phenomenon. It's the people who have struggled with eating issues, people who have issues with drugs, all these things. It's all the same thing that Gura is talking about here in mystical language. Well, we can all relate to it, each of us on our own level, each of us have our own Yetzirahs, which is, but it's also true for good, his point is, which is that when you get a taste of something, you want more of it. He says, that's the way Hashem made us. And if you put something good inside of you, then your body is restless until you get more of that, and more of that, and more of that. And you're you know, on the hamster wheel for a good thing. And if you get a taste of something bad, then you need it in a similar vein. Furthermore, he points out, not all things are created equal. Right? Certain things are really strong. They're really addictive. And other things are a little bit. Hain latov, hain lara. So says Rav, uh, the Vilna Gon, Similarly, just like there's nothing more powerful than Torah, and again, those of you, I hope everyone in the room, especially those of you who've been here since El, but even those who are here more recently, um, hopefully you've already got a little bit of a taste, if not a full taste. Right? In, in the beginning, for a lot of people, learning can be hard. But once you break through, right, there's no greater feeling. There's no greater feeling than an incredible morning seder, than a great sheer, than a great afternoon seder. Night seder. There's, you, you, you feel, what, what could... What, what could you have been doing in college or wherever else you would have been that would have given you that feeling, that kashmak, right? So, because there's nothing more powerful. If you, once you're in the zone, there's actually nothing more pleasurable. Forget meaningful. I'm talking about pure pleasure now. Let's be hedonistic for a second. There's nothing more pleasurable than learning once you have the palate for it, the taste for it. It's the most powerful thing. But says the Vilna Gon, right? Zelu Madzek, right? Everything is in direct proportion. Therefore, there's a tremendous Yetzirah and a very powerful addiction to wasting time. Right? It's exactly in proportion. So once you get into it a little bit, then your body wants more and more of that. 
which is why, you know, every now and then, especially in the morning Seder, you know, sometimes you need a, a batala break, a coffee room break, and when you can manage those to the five minutes, it's fine. But how come so often, you know, you start, start off as a five-minute coffee break is an hour? So one of the answers is the phone. Right? When you go to the bathroom with the phone, you know, we don't need to be marich here. Uh, we all know what we don't want to talk about, uh, right? It's a big mistake, right? That's why what could be five minutes ends up taking, you know, a lot longer. Um, but even without the phone, just the schmoozing, right? Because exactly what the Gra is talking about uh, here. Let's throw over the page. We have a page and a half more. This is really powerful stuff. We're almost done. So... Uh, I'll try to do, uh, there's really so much more, again, it's really Kedai to do everything, but we're not going to have time, so let's just do two more things, okay, we'll finish in four minutes, five minutes. So at the bottom of the page here, he points out the following, this takes us over to the, to the third page, and that is, and I was alluding to this before, Ha'emes hu, she'ikr hakoshi, hu hergel. right, the hardest thing is just getting into the groove, right, to start learning, to start anything that's hard, is hard, right, lahavdil, when you're somebody at my age and with my weight, to start exercising, right? To first get on the treadmill, to first get in the workout room is brutal, right? The first thing to get into that hair gel, very, very hard. To start learning, very, very difficult. On the other hand, he says, Yes, there will always be, it's always hard. There's always going to be, yet it's hard not to do good things. That's how Hashem made the world. But once you're in the habit, once you're in the zone, it's much, much easier than it would have been Otherwise, and he continues on to the next page. Again, as I said, once you're in the zone, it's a melchama, but it's way, way, way down. And he points out from the medrash a few lines later about how if a person wants it and they're trying, when Hashem sees that you're putting in the effort, Hashem knows if you're using your maximum effort or not. When Hashem knows you're putting in the effort, Hashem will reach out His hand, so to speak, and take yours in His, so to speak, and help us with that. And he adds something very beautiful. Let's just do this from uh, Rabbi Shal Salanter. This kid, well, again, I feel bad at what I'm leaving out, but we'll end with this just because it's getting late. He ends this paragraph on Man Ahmed Yud from Rabbi Shal Salanter. I don't know if this is in a primary source or not, but he quotes this without quoting a source in the name of Rabbi Shal Salanter. Sha'adam Sarachalachshov Shahu Yechidi Ba'olam She'ain Lo Ella Yom Zeh Ve'ain Lufanav Ella Daf Zeh. In other words, he says, a person, you have to play games with yourself. That's, nothing, that's, not, that's not inauthentic, that's not cheating, that's just smart living. You have to be able to talk yourself into certain realities, and that will get you in the right mindset. Says Salanter, you're having trouble focusing, you're having trouble learning, what, you don't, so part of it deep down is, A, it seems too hard, or B, it's like, come on, what's the big deal if I learn or not? So says Salanter, you know, you have to tell yourself before you sit down, number one is, no one else in the world is going to learn if I don't. It's on me. What I do actually matters. It really, really counts. And not only is it on me, I have, I have to do it today. Right? Because procrastination is the biggest Yetzirah. I have, not, I have, you know, I'm going to have, I'll waste the afternoon Seder, but don't worry, I'm going to have a good night Seder. No, I have to learn. It has to be today. It has to be now. And it has to be this, this daf, whatever. These makaros, this daf, this mishnah, this gemara, this sugya, Etc. Now, why are you doing all this? Because if you can get yourself thinking on, a, on that wavelength, it'll actually make it easier. She says, but you should know, it's not such a, you're not even really lying to yourself. Because the truth is, if you are wasting your time, you're not killing time, you're killing yourself. Right? We all have only a finite 
amount of time. Again, not to be uh, unnecessarily exploitive or melodramatic, I literally spent unexpectedly uh, a number of hours today trying to help a family in my shul. A young woman in my shul found out early this morning that her father in Florida just dropped dead suddenly in shul yesterday. To make it even worse, it was the yurt site for his father, and he was making a seam in shul uh, for his father when he had a heart attack. So this, his daughter, his adult daughter in my shul, finds out this morning when she wakes up that they couldn't revive him in, you know, overnight you know, in America. Right? So, so I, yeah, obviously they have all sorts of halakhic shailas, traveling, the burial, all that stuff. So you know, She wasn't expecting it, and I certainly wasn't expecting it. But think about her and think about this man. Right? You never know how much time you have. We only have a finite amount of time. None of us know how much that is. So when we're wasting time, we're really, in a certain sense, not killing time, but killing ourselves. So we're not really lying to ourselves when I say, if I don't do it now, it's not going to get done. It'll never will be done. And the, what I think he's really getting at, and I think this is what this will conclude, uh, Yonatan Shai sent me um, some kind of a meme or something that, uh, I don't know where he saw something online, he sent it to me today after he saw what I was speaking about, and he said that Rechaim Kanievsky has a son, who has Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. So he went to Rechaim Kanievsky, I don't know how many years ago this is, and he said, if this sounds familiar, you should know you're in good, you're in good company. He said, Rechaim, a lot of the guys have trouble, they're having, str- they can't imagine learning a four-hour Seder. What should I tell them? How can I give them advice? They can't imagine, it's too long. So he said, Reb Chaim said back to him, four hours? That's, inc- that's impossible. If someone were telling me I have to learn for four straight hours, I couldn't even learn for a minute. Instead, what do I tell myself? I have to learn for five minutes. I can learn five minutes. Who can learn five minutes? So after I finish those five minutes, I thought myself I could learn another five minutes and another five minutes. And eventually you'll get to four hours. But you have to break it down into small pieces so that it's not daunting. And again, this is not quote-unquote cheating. This is not lying to yourself. This, these are the mind games that every successful person in every field, Lahavdiol, plays with themselves. You have to reframe it. There's no, there are certain things that are objective reality. But a lot of it, a lot of life, a lot of challenges, a lot of the difficulties in life are all about what, what they call schema, which is what, what lens we're looking through and interpreting things with. If we can, we can you know, create our own narratives. And again, they're not dishonest. They're just not the way we would have otherwise looked at them. But if we reframe all sorts of challenges and break them down into small bite-sized pieces, it'll add up to something huge in a way that's not uh, overwhelming. And it's obviously tremendous chizuk that someone who was you know, the masmid of his in many generations, evidently, at least at some point in his life, struggled maybe the same way you and I do. Uh, and this was a helpful strategy to him. And it could be a helpful, uh, I think, a strategy uh, to all of us. So again, I conclude by saying, you know, chaval al da'avdin v'lo meshtakhin, Obviously, uh, Klai Yisrael lost uh, not only a great uh, Talmud Chacham, but a, a unique, a unique Talmud Chacham, uh, which will, will certainly not uh, be replaced anytime soon, that's for sure. Uh, and even though in certain ways he was very, very far uh, from where we are in the world or where our yeshiva is, uh, that should not in any way lessen our admiration for, for everything that he represents and everything that he accomplished. And there are many things I'm sure we could learn from him, uh, but to me the most important and the most salient uh, for anyone, especially for B'nai Yeshiva, uh, was you know his diligence, his hasmada, and again, as I say, there's no reason that be karon any one of us can't be a great masmid on our own level. In the same way that he was a great masmid, um, doesn't mean we're going to write forty svarim or whatever how many he wrote, uh, but we can all use our time to the max uh, the way he did uh, for anything important, but certainly kavah homer uh, for a Talmud Torah. Yehi zechro baruch.